Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. Apologies in advance. I know you were all probably crying and, and waiting to hear at least one of our beautiful voices over the last week, week and a half. But we have returned. Kyle, myself, and Sean are all back on the mic here. And we're getting ready to give you another great week recap as well as our projections into this upcoming weekend we've been on a bit of an international break uh, watching a bunch of england games played today uh, against ukraine italy and england over the weekend Uh, we had a couple more exciting ones but all the players have been at home in their country playing for their nations so the epl has been on a bit of a lull over the past week and a half but that doesn't mean news has been on a bit of a lull We have some exciting hot news right now that we're going to dive into. And um, I know you all are looking forward to hearing my uh, my trip and how the Gunners destroyed Crystal Palace 4-1. But don't worry, we'll get into that. Uh, But we're all in a great mood on this fine, beautiful Sunday. Uh, First time recording on a Sunday. I know Sean is hungover. I think Kyle's hungover. And I'm just (laughs) ecstatic to be here. So... (laughs) So why don't we get into the hot news? Um, I am on a bit of a... Uh, Euro trip lag on my my history and my knowledge. So Sean and, and Kyle, as much as you can muster out of your hungover strength, uh, is going to be appreciated on this one. Yeah. So let's dive into it. I, I think everyone heard the first couple bit of news. We're going to talk about coaches. Uh, it seems to be always a bit of a hot news subject for us here, and it's exciting because we get to see where where why the sacking happened, what's the next step for somebody, and this one is probably the most. Uh, you know, spontaneous one we've had highlighted over the season. And this is Bayern Munich firing and sacking Julian Nagelsmann, who has had a fantastic season so far with Bayern Munich. He has three titles with them or three trophies with them. And he's had a flawless uh, Champions League run. He has not lost a single match in their Champions League run this season. And they are only one point behind rivals Dortmund, uh, which might have been one of the larger sections of it on the reasons on his on his sacking, but I believe uh, a bunch of the tabloids were saying there were some discipline, disciplinary reasons and conflicts and kind of non-jiving with ownership and the actual in- infrastructure of Bayern Munich itself. So this one's pretty uh, shocking because it came out of nowhere, but what's not shocking is the replacement. Uh, his return to the Bundesliga is Thomas Tuchel. So, Sean and Kyle, why don't you guys kind of take me through, take us all through this this firing and this hiring of Thomas Tuchel, and what can we expect of Bayern Munich, especially coming up, uh, I believe, in two or three weeks. I think April 11th is the matchup between Man City and Bayern Munich. So we already off the bat have some popcorn uh, ready to go for a reenactment of the Champions League final with Pep and uh, Thomas Tuchel again. So I'll start off with you, Sean. Kind of take us through the Bayern Munich side of things if you, if you have anything. And then I know, Kyle, and you love Thomas Tuchel very much, so we'll, we'll give that to you. Yeah, for, you know, from my perspective, this one is very surprising. Um, I actually talked to my cousin Connor, who's a big Bayern fan. I don't know why, but he, he is. <laughs> um, and I was like, was this, was this something that you were expecting? Um, like, did you want this to happen? And he, was, he couldn't believe it. He was stunned. Um, uh, and and like you said, I think a big part of it, obviously, is is off the field stuff, things that we probably aren't you know completely uh, attuned to or, or aware of. Um, but also, you know, losing their their grasp at the top of the Bundesliga table probably played a, a factor as well. You know, they're pretty much expected to just you know boss the league every year, and and only being a point down, obviously, it's very manageable. Um, but it is shocking. I thought that they really had hit their stride because you look at their starting eleven, you know. 
they've struggled a little bit to score goals, you know, to the same level uh, without Lewandowski. Um, but they've also added a lot of new pieces. You know, they have Matthias Delic at center back. You have Mane in, uh, up top. You have Cancelo now, who kind of plays as a, mm-hmm. as a wide midfielder. Um, they play that that three four three. I think it's a three four three system, um, which has kind of like you said rounded into form. I mean, in the Champions League they looked really good. They had a, you know a, a dominant performance in the knockout stages. So I, I I was surprised by this, but you know if there's anybody who's who's you know keen and able to to take over a team mid season and, and lead into Champions League glory, it's Thomas Tuchel. We saw it obviously with with Chelsea back in 2021. So it'll be interesting. I mean, Kyle, your thoughts, obviously, with uh, with an impending matchup with City and Bayern in a couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's going to be a really fun one, I think. I, I know Thomas Tuchel likes to play defense. He's he, You don't really score many goals on him. I remember when he joined up with Chelsea, there was, you know, a, a new record every week for 11 games in, 12, 15, 20 games in. Look, he's only let up six goals or eight clean sheets, this, that, the other thing. So I don't think that's really Bayern's problem right now. I think they need help up top, mostly. They just picked up Cancelo, uh, you know, so we'll see. I know it's going to be tough playing Sané and Cancelo. They're old city players. They know, the, they know how it works. They played under Pep as well. But, I mean, I, I just want to win, man. We got, we got to beat them. Bayern Munich does not deserve another Champions League. They, they're not going to get it. But more on Tuchel, I, I like him. I think that's a really good fit there. He's he's a defensive style. He's a UCL winner. He's he's what they need. He's he's good, but I still don't think he's better than Julian Nagelsmann. But I think that firing was ridiculous. Um, other than that, he's I think the, Tuchel he has, has a better the, team. The Bundesliga now. history, right? I mean, with Dortmund, he played very yep. well or coached very well. Yeah. I mean, he's got a ton of players that he he coached at Dortmund that came over into the EPL. So I, you know, his return to this will be great, and you know. The fact that it's right off the bat, it's going to be Bayern versus Man City. Both right now, their head-to-head is five wins, five wins. They have not drawn. It's five wins for both teams, which is impeccable. So we're going to get a we're going to get a big one off the start. Yeah, yeah. I also think this is a you can't lose situation for Tuchel because you're seeing Nagelsmann get fired after what like five champions in his last six seasons in the Bundesliga, or something something crazy. If he's lost one, so if if Tuchel loses, he's gone. Yeah, you know that's true. Like that's probably he's true, got a better ne- team than Chelsea, so he's gonna have to he's gonna have to start really stepping on the gas and winning, winning, winning if he wants to stay in Germany. Yeah, the big one too. Obviously, uh, it's a Derek Klassiker, I believe is what they call it. Uh, Bayern Dortmund is is Tuchel's first match, so going up against his own oh, yeah. club uh, Saturday afternoon. So that that'll be one to watch for sure. Probably the the best game of the weekend besides obviously Liverpool City. You know that that's you know definitely one to look forward to. That's twelve thirty on Saturday, home for Bayern Munich too. He's yep. walking into Dortmund, followed by Man City as like two of his first games. Yeah, Love that. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I mean, they're coming. Their their last game, Dortmund, uh, Bayern Munich lost against uh, who do we got? Leverkusen. But uh, other than that, they've been pretty flawless. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't get it, man. Nagelsmann just beat PSG with the Mbappe, Messi, Neymar front line, like. You're gonna fire the guy that just beat them. That yeah, that that on, I don't understand that either. On, the champions. It's there's got to be some real fucked up shit going on behind the scenes yeah, over there to really sack be. someone like that. So I mean, who knows? That might be perfect having a fucked up manager for Tottenham Hotspurs later down the road. We, we're not <laughs> sure, but 
Uh, he also is linked to that, but we'll, we'll touch base that a little bit later when we talk about the highlights from the Southampton uh, Tottenham tie 3-3. We'll kind of segue a little bit into that. But go, going on to our next kind of coach sacking here, which was also a bit of a surprise, but not really surprised just because we haven't heard chatter of it. Um, and it wasn't really on our radar, which I think it probably should have been because uh, it makes sense, unfortunately. But the, the sacking of Patrick Vieira, longtime Arsenal hero and coach of almost, I believe it's a full season, essentially, for Crystal Palace. He came in last season, didn't make the full season here. Um, so this was probably on course to happen. Uh, unfortunately, I think maybe um, he, he, he had a good start with him and it died down, but he didn't really have a, a lot of opportunity to bring in a lot of players that he wanted to see come in over only one real two, one and a half transfer windows. Nothing happened over this winter for them other than pretty much getting the uh, loan of uh, Sambi Lakanga from Arsenal. So I, I'm not sure if he was given a full opportunity over there. Um, uh, the chants were crazy over the weekend uh, for Patrick Vieira at the stadium. Not sure if anyone heard that on the Crystal Palace Arsenal game. But Crystal Palace did sack him right beforehand, about two, three days before the game. Um, I was kind of you know, very nervous that there would be another manager bounce incident while I was at the game, but not no need to go into that right now. But, you know, Palace had not won a game since December 31st, excuse me, 31st of 2022, and that was against Bournemouth. And they've only scored six goals in the past 12 games in 2023. So it's pretty, pretty horrendous. Um, they needed a change because they did start off pretty well. We were hyping them up. Uh, we are big Crystal Palace supporters here of the club, of, of them wanting to do well. No one in particular has them as their number one team. Uh, but it is nice to see, you know, teams like that, Brighton, kind of do well. Uh, so, unfortunately for Patrick Vieira, got the sack, but it, it does give uh, Roy Hutchinson another Hutchinson another chance at his old club. So, you know, Sean, take us away on that. I know you, you dove a little bit into this. Yeah, so Roy Hodgins back, and, and just reading some of the stuff, uh, there's a guy, HLTCO. Uh, he's a big Crystal Palace fan, and if you are on Twitter at all, um, he's probably one of my favorite football Twitter followers, just like really good content, but he's a diehard Palace fan. He has a podcast usually about 20 minutes every day. and He was you know surprised that it happened, but at the same time, he kind of understood where it was coming from. I think um, where people are upset from the Palace point of view is that they almost seem like they're going backwards, um, going back to Roy Hodgson, who's now the first, second, and third oldest manager in the history of the Premier League, by the way. The first time he managed at Crystal Palace, the uh, second time was at Watford a couple seasons, or it might have been last year even, and then Palace again. So uh, pretty remarkable. He's a very you know classic British manager, defensive style, probably like a 4-4-2 formation. Um, so they might be more solid, but still struggling to create chances and score goals, which to be fair, their defense has been pretty solid. Um, they're not conceding a ton. That, like, like you mentioned, you know, they only have six goals in 2023. Um, we made fun of Chelsea for months, but if you looked at like those those charts of you know x amount of goals in in February or you know it's, it's since the the return of the World Cup, Palace is right there with them at the bottom of the scoring yeah. charts. Um, and I think a big part of it is that they just have not found a way to get their three best attacking players on the pitch at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. That being obviously Wilf Zaha, who's pretty much you know crucial number one guy. He's always on the field. Mm-hmm. But then either Eber- Eberieze or Michael Elise, one of those two is coming off the bench. Um, and there's just not enough creativity, in, you know, on the wings or in midfield. Um, and they don't have like you know an out and out number nine who's you know really top quality. I think 
Um, Zaha's probably in his best either as a little bit deeper or out on the left wing. So it'll yep. be interesting to see you know where it goes from here with Roy. I think they'll, they'll probably still be safe. Um, but I, I can't imagine he's going to be a long-term fit. I mean, as I mentioned, he's 75 years old, and he plays a very archaic style of football that you know they allegedly were trying to move on from, and you know they were trying to take a step forward with Vieira. It just never really worked out, unfortunately. I mean, I, I like Patrick Vieira a lot. Obviously, like you mentioned, you know, um, one of the best midfielders in the history of the Prem. But um, when you're not getting the results, it's a results-based business. So, unfortunate that he has to go. But we'll see see if Palace can keep themselves up. Uh, obviously, we've talked about it a few times recently. The You know, that, that relegation battle is very congested. They're still in 12th somehow, despite all these struggles. Uh, but they're also just four points off the bottom, Southampton. So... Could only, you know, it's a crucial point in the season. They do have a pretty, like, I wouldn't say easy run of fixtures, but at least manageable um, to, yeah. to end the season. They've had a couple of really tough ones. If you look back, their last, like, 10 matches, you know, they played City, they've played Liverpool, they've mm -hmm. played Arsenal, played Man United. So they're not, they're got all those teams out of the way, and they play a lot of teams in the bottom half of the table now. Um, but they, they need to be a lot better. Um, especially in the, in the offensive department. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to come down to, just to play off of what you said before and, and you rattle off the big names that they played. But just looking down their past couple of games, they've only lost, I would say, 75% of those won nothing. I mean, you had, besides the Arsenal game that we just saw over the last weekend, which was 4-1, which was their first goal in God knows how long, but it was Brighton one nothing, Man City one nothing, Aston Villa one nothing, tied Liverpool zero zero, Brentford one one. You had Man U two one uh, zero zero Newcastle, and then again one one Man United again, and then Chelsea one nothing. The the, the defense and, and the back of the net's not the problem. It's getting the ball rolling and getting that momentum because as soon as you score one goal you have the momentum rolling and, and then their team feeds off of the energy. So it is, it is, you know, interesting to see how defensively solid they have been back there and not letting up, you know, an exorbitant amount of goals other than last week and just not getting anything going on the top half. That was a large part because Zaha has only returned for two games. So hopefully now with his more regular time playing, um, you'll see it like you mentioned, but We'll see. I'm sure Patrick Vieira will not be out of the uh, out of a job for very long. Um, whether that be he'll take the rest of the season off and and find a new one over the summer, but I, I have a feeling we have not seen the last of him in the EPL for sure. Definitely. Does uh, Does Zaha look for a, a a move? I guess at this point, yeah, because he's on his last year, I believe. Right? This yeah. next yeah. year is his last year, so it's either sell or or take a loss. I think he gets yeah. out of that man. He's too good I, for that organization. Yeah. And listen, he, it's been rumored for years now that he's supposed to be going to Arsenal. I don't mm -hmm. know if he fits, he fits necessarily the profile that, that Arteta likes. Um, obviously, he's a bit older. I think he's in like 29. And then you look across the rest of the front line, they're all you know very young guys. So it would be... Yeah, he just turned 30 in November. Yeah, okay. maybe, a good, there you go. maybe a good spot could be like Spurs for him if Harry Kane leaves. They're going to need a striker up top. And he's going to... He would fit well, I feel, with Son up top. Kulisevsky. Yeah. That would be interesting. That would have the most interesting up top three I think yeah. I've ever seen. Right now, Spurs do too because you got Harry Kane, an old Englishman, and you got Son. You know, he's the Korean hero, and then you have uh, Kulisexi, who is you know from Sweden. <laughs> but um, throw Zaha in there. Why not? Let's make it Cote d'Ivoire. Throw it in there. 
But very good. I think uh, I think it's a good segue since we're talking about Crystal Palace for you guys to uh, kind of give me what you want. Talk to me. I'm, I'm back from the land of the EPL. I uh, I did not cry. My eyes did water. Um, but uh, it was it was an incredible experience. So let me let me know what you guys want to hear, so I don't just talk endlessly for for hours on this. But I, I'm not sure if everyone did follow uh, uh, the Instagram. I did go live, and I didn't go live, but I pretty much gave you my play by play of the day on uh, EPL State of Mind. The story I'll, I'll I'll compile that into a post and throw that up so everyone can see that later on. But it was a day. So let me uh, go for it, guys. Hit me with what you got. Did you lose anything or get hurt? Lose anything and or get hurt? No. Then we, it's a successful we, we, trip. Yeah, it was a very successful trip. I thought I left my my phone my my laptop charger abroad, but I, I dug that out this morning, which was great. Uh, but no, no harm was done to this Arsenal fan, and it, it was it was fantastic. All right, now my real question though: How was the? Uh, I guess not the atmosphere, but like, you know, it's it's London Arsenal. You said that the stadium was unified. Can you go into that? How how unified were you actually feeling? I mean, from from the minute I stepped into Twelve Pins, which was the pub uh, that we got there, I was a little too excited. I got there an hour before it opened up. I didn't realize that. I guess I could have checked. Uh, their schedule a little bit better but I got there early and um, just just everybody in uniform and everywhere it's you know home supporters only whether it's the pub uh, the way you walk down the way you enter the stadium and I've never seen I'm a Giants a Yankees uh, and a Knicks fan when they're all based over here it's the popular ones in the area but to see everyone in red and white at Emirates Stadium in one mass form it wasn't even like a bunch of individuals it felt like an actual extension of the team and you could just tell that the energy at the emirates was we're gonna win this game you know i'll compare it to like a a yankee game you can't see everyone who's a yankee fan is a yankee fan but they're not a diehard yankee fan like these guys it's not it it's it's just their livelihood these fans so it was it was really exciting just to see and feel and be a part of that everyone was super great I mean, everyone was just, you know, high five and hugging after every single goal like you would at a regular game. But this was this was something else. The atmosphere was it was contagious. So it was it was gorgeous. And, uh, and it was just one big unified, you know, Arsenal support. One uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was just I know you kind of mentioned it briefly on the pod before, but just if you could kind of walk through the process of how you got a ticket. Um, mm. just for, for people that, you know, if they're if they are going over in the future that, you know, you can go through like that process and you know, where you ended up sitting. Yes. So we knew, we knew someone who had season ticket, season tickets, and you're allowed to sell those on a secondhand market. Um, so we reached out to them. They get their season tickets, the location, everything like that, like three days before the game. So we got that emailed over to us um, a couple days before the game. We were sitting in section 115. I believe the stadium fits just under 60,000 fans. I think it's like 56 or something like that compared to, you know, a Giants or a Raven. I use Ravens because that sits like 70,000. So it's like 20,000 to 10,000 less fans. So there's only one upper bowl. Everything else is on like the field kind of level vaguely in the boxes. There wasn't a bad seat in the entire stadium. Uh, where I was on 115, it was directly kind of above and one section towards the center line over the away fan corner, which was sick to see because they brought Crystal Palace brought a bunch of like road flares and shit like that. They were popping the smoke over there right above our right below our section, essentially. So we saw that. But I was at the 
southwest corner looking at the entire pitch from a kind of a southwest to an east view so you saw everything that happened and we were we were on the i believe it was the clock end side of it which is actually the is the east side but the way we were sitting it was it felt like the other way around but um we got those tickets through second hand i did want to look just to see what it was like there they do have Ticketmaster over there and i was looking like the day or two days before the game you could buy them in a Ticketmaster domain in uk um so if you go abroad and you're just looking to pop into a game or something that like that you would be able to buy them on the second hand market similarly to what you would be able to do over here which was really cool you enter uh, you enter there was gates all around the building so there was not a single foot of this building on the exterior that would not allow you into the building which was really great and they kept the away fan section completely separate you can't walk 360 around the stadium because there's a, a physical wall that prevents you from going into the away stand corner or the away fans into the home field side, which was pretty cool. I've never seen that before. There was literally a brick wall that you couldn't get past. But gates everywhere, super easy to get to. We took the underground all the way up. We stayed uh, in Chelsea area, a little bit too close to Stanford Bridge for my liking. Hmm. But it was an easy, quick tube ride up, and it was just it was awesome. The stadium was gorgeous. It's one of the older ones on the outside. It, it didn't look too modern. Like if you look at like Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or something like that, it wasn't anything spectacular from the outside. But from the inside, it was just open and gorgeous. And the biggest thing, if anyone's wondering, all the stadiums essentially are covered because it rains constantly. We didn't get any rain, thankfully, but you, any seat that you're in, you look up, you got overhead. All right. Well, take a breath. That was quite a mouthful there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it, was, it was just a lot of fun. I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't recommend it more if you're over there, whether it, it be an Arsenal game or whether it be a local home team game, just to get over there and get into a, and get into a stadium. You make any friends Absolutely. over there? A couple. A couple supporters. The guys I was sitting next to were really great. The guy in front of me was an Arsenal supporter for over, I want to say it was it was in like the early 60s. He was a big fan of. He was in his late 70s and still going to the games. We talked for about five to ten minutes after the game just about how how happy he was that this team, this young, healthy team was performing and that he was happy to see just Arsenal back to the, potentially the glory days. Um, a couple guys next to me were really good English lads. And then um, at, all around the stadium, everyone was, I was walking around at the end of the stadium. At the end of the game, I, I stayed and walked around for, oh, one thing about getting to the game, in your point, John, get there early. I got there about like 45 to an hour early and went in the stadium, and they let me walk all the way down to the first row. I was able to walk around the stadium on pretty much uninhibited, so I was able to get right up to the pitch. I went behind the keeper. I saw Ramsdale and Turner warming up, and then Saka and the whole squad came out for their little warm-up, and I was like 20 yards away. So it's really it's a great stadium or a great sport to get to the stadium early and just enjoy it. And then after the game, I was walking around, and uh, AFTV was there. I got to pop into their little uh, circle of interviews and stuff like that, which was really cool. And then a, another uh, YouTuber pulled me aside after the game, and, and get, I gave a quick little three-minute interview on my American side of, of what I thought of the game, which was really cool. And I'll, I'll share that link for everyone on, on the EPL State of Mind. So it was, it was a lot of fun. It was just great. And uh, it was obviously the highlight of my trip, but obviously there was other things I did that, there too. Four days, five days in London, three days in Amsterdam. So we'll stay away from everything else and, and talk that. But that, that's what I got, man. I mean, that was exciting. Oh, that's awesome. Well, if anyone has any other questions, feel free to message us or just hit me up and, and I'll talk about it. If not, we're going to, hop into the weekend roundup I, I we don't need to get into the arsenal game too much other than the fact that was 4-1 which was incredible um the atmosphere was electric martinelli 
uh, really probably should have gotten the man of the match, in my opinion. Uh, Saka put two in. He's been on a tear lately. Shaka has been on a tear as well. I believe he's got three goals in three games. And it, it's just this team is is one to be reckoned with right now, without a doubt in my mind. If we're not the best team in the Premier League because of Man City, we're number two. So James, correct me if I'm wrong here, but is mm-hmm. Saka the first player this year for ten goals, ten assists? He was. He was the first English Premier League player to mat, to do double digits in goals and assists. And he's special. Um, and then and I believe we're the only team in the EPL with three players in double digit goals as well. Um, I got to double check that one. There might be one other, but I believe it's it's Martinelli, Udegaard, and Saka are are over 10 goals each damn so it's 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 the ball has been spread really well with this arsenal team and seeing them play live you could really tell how well they were able to possess the ball and really just they they killed it but uh we're gonna pop into a quick break here and then we'll pop into our second segment and week roundup and and we'll we'll keep going from there so thanks guys stick tuned All right, in a red card field weekend, that was last weekend for the EPL, we're going to start off with a game that didn't feature a red card, and that was the Tottenham versus Southampton. A lot of you guys might realize that this was my lock of the week, and I was watching this game from my flat in London, and I watched uh, Spurs go up 3-1, decided to take a quick nap, woke up, and then realized again why I hate Spurs so much, because they disappoint me in every way possible, whether it, it be beating Arsenal and preventing us from being top four like last season, just being Arsenal and being a bunch of headless chickens running around the pitch, or even when I put a little bit of faith in them and hope for them to pull through, other than beating Man City, they absolutely disappoint me. So this game was my lock of the week. It was looking great until the very last second of the match. Uh, but other than that, it was a pretty uneventful, pretty classic Spurs game. But what wasn't uh, wasn't classic and I guess was more of an extraordinary classic Spur interview with Antonio Conte. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more. But to summarize the match kind of briefly, Kyle, I know you watched it as well. Did you share the same disappointment in, in the Spurs as I did when you saw them, how they were playing? Uh, I mean, I was not disappointed because I don't give a shit about the Spurs. But if you are a fan of the Spurs, there was massive disappointment for you. I mean, the game was absolutely crazy. You're up 3-1 in the 76th minute, and you're the better team, and you blow it. (laughs) You've got to be furious if you're a fan on that. Yeah. Not only only that your Spurs, who are are at the point of sitting in fourth place, but you're playing the 20th place team, and you're up by two goals. Yeah. But, I mean, going into it, Richarlison got taken off in tears after finally getting the play in time. I love mm-hmm. that. I hate Richarlison almost as much as, like, <laughs> come on, man. We never want to hope for someone. I mean, if there was one person, sure. I think unanimously we would say maybe Richie King Pigeon is not going to be the guy. I mean, that him or Bruno, succeed, one of the two, but, man. Yeah, one of the two. Well, that's brutal. He, he got but you're right, you're right. You never root for an injury. Right it's uh, it's more that I'm just happy it didn't go, go great for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's but, fair. I mean, it opens the door for other players. So Pedro Poro got his first goal for Spurs. He came in. He had a couple chances. The goal he scored was a rocket into the roof of the net. So one of my favorite type of goals. You come in from the right, and you put your laces through it and open up the chest, and the goalie just falls flat on his ass. I mean, for those who watched the World Cup in 2010, Landon Donovan did it in one of the 
biggest moments possible for us. So that was massive. Um, going back to English Premier League soccer. Uh, it's great to see Theo Walcott. He got a goal and an mm-hmm. assist. I feel yep. like I've been hearing that name since I started watching soccer when I was like six. That dude oh, is he was a massive Arsenal. Yeah, he he. But you're right. His his longevity into the into the game. He's had a few serious injuries, but he's always been one of the fastest players out there. Obviously, not anymore. But he he's been he's been a joy to watch. And normally, I would have celebrated a Theo Walcott goal against Spurs, but this one I I kind of sat sat out. Yeah, um, other notes of the game, Harry Kane got a goal. Big shock there. He's he's just a mm-hmm. great player. Uh, James yep. Ward-Prowse, he got another goal. Add that to the list. It was a free kick, but not from outside the box, so it was a penalty. But you know what? We, we took out the golf clubs again. It was a driver this time. If you, you guys, it, I believe you called yeah, it. Yeah, I'm starting to do this thing where whenever he scores, it's a little bet as to what golf club he's going to take out. So I had a driver call last time. I think his next goal, we're going to be looking for a short chip, little wedge action. So keep an eye out for that. A blade, a two iron, a real hard club to hit. A blade and two iron. a two iron blade shot. That's it. Um, (laughs) Other than that, I mean, if you're a Spurs fan, there's controversy, of course, at the end. Was the penalty outside the box? Was it inside the box? Was it even a penalty? There were a lot of scenarios that this referee could have laid out, and he chose to give the penalty. I would be, you know, upset if I was a Spurs fan. I would be upset if it didn't get called if I was a Southampton fan. It could have gone either way. So it is what it is, but to do that in the 93rd minute is kind of funny. Um, Other than that, I'm going to give it over to Sean here because I didn't actually catch the interview with Conte, but I heard heard it was pretty fun. So This was more exciting than the game. This (laughs) this has been the most exciting thing the Spurs have done all season. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Conte just excoriated his players after the game. Basically, not just his players, but the entire club. The fans, the ownership. Um, and basically, just to give you a little bit of context to what he said, he said they can change the manager. They can change a lot of managers. But the situation cannot change with the things, you know, the way that, the way that they are right now. Um, to me, it basically just all but confirms that Conte is leaving at the end of this season. Um, he clearly does not you know, have faith in a lot of these guys um, and, and the club. I think, you know, Daniel Levy's always been accused of being a bit stingy, especially for a guy who's an owner of a top six team. Um, I know Conte's really been push, pushing to bring in another center back alongside Romero and hasn't gotten the funding to do that. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of guys on this Tottenham squad that he brought in. Kulisevsky was his signing. Benton Core was his signing. Romero was his signing. Pedro Porro on the right wing, uh, Richarlison, and it, uh, Perisic at left wing back, who he's had on multiple occasions, and it just hasn't worked out. Um, they don't, they don't play as a unit. I think that's the biggest thing, and that's an indictment on coaching uh, more than anything else. But it was, it was really, really shocking. I don't think I've ever seen a coach, you know, so blatantly just call out and disrespect, almost disrespect his club, his players um, as a whole um, to that level. And that extent. So definitely an interesting one to watch. Obviously Tottenham, you know, hasn't had the season that they wanted. They're out of all cup competitions um, and they're hanging on to that four spot. But, you know, obviously Liverpool's kind of picked it up slightly lately. And then you also have Newcastle with two games in hand on them and only a couple points back. So, it, it, you know, if, if he can find a way to pull them together and they finish the season strong, you know, so be it. But I, I don't see it happening. I, I think they're going to finish outside the top four, and I think Conte will definitely be leaving 
Um, but just going back to what we were talking about when we opened up the show, Nagelsmann might be a fit there. Um, although he's not obviously known for being a guy who's too easy to work with either. Um, but I just think his style of play um, and, and the fact that they tried to hire him actually when Pochettino left in 2019. Um, but he had, I think he stayed at Leipzig at that time. But I, I, I could see Nagelsmann end up being the, the long-term fit uh, this summer at, at Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between being a headache to a club as a coach off the pitch and getting results, and then being a headache to a club like Conte is and has been, I would say, the whole season. He's, I, I have watched numerous of his after-game press conferences, and the guy just doesn't give good post-match conferences. I don't know if it's just because of the language barrier or what it is, but he never gives any credit to the guys, not necessarily that they, de- they deserve any credit, but he's very quick to to come up with excuses. He's very quick to point fingers. He's very quick to not take the blame upon himself, which I think you'll see a lot of the top coaches, uh, like Pep is never really blaming anyone but but himself. He did blame the the travel to London once, but that, that that's a brutal exception. That, that's that. a long road, man. Four and a half hours? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> a lot of fatigue. But, uh, I mean, like, you, you got Klopp. Yeah, he'll complain about the pitch sometimes, but he takes a lot of the blame on himself. He's like, I didn't set the team up the right way, whatnot. It's a lot of, you know, taking ownership in the strategy that goes into a match. I can't say Conte has ever really done that very, very wholeheartedly to support the team. And he's, you know, I think when he first even got hired by the team, I think he he, he flat out said, I don't know if I'm the guy for the job. I don't know if I'm going to be the one that they want to see. I don't know if I can do this task. This this might be a large task. I don't know if I'm the guy. And for since then, I think it's been shown that he's not the guy. And now he's he's not going to be the guy moving forward. And I think um, maybe bringing in a a coach such as um, Julian who who can earn some respect and and kind of draw a hard line, like almost you know take a uh, Ten Hag approach to things, uh, might help out a lot. Just create more of a uh, it's a culture problem. I think Conte is right about that. I think the culture needs to be corrected over at the Spurs stadium within the locker room and outside of the locker room. And I think that starts with the coach. But moving on uh, to the next one we have here is, is Leeds Wolves. So Leeds four, Wolves two, massive three points for Leeds who, who shot straight up from 19th to 14th and just one point away from 12th place. Like we've been saying over the past week, week and a half, two weeks, the race at the bottom of the table is just as tight as at the top. Um, so, you know, this was a massive confidence boost for Leeds, who have been at the bottom for quite some time now. Uh, a bit of a reality check for Wolves, who have been struggling, who seemed like they were going to have a bit of a resurgence, but now see them at 13th place, only four points clear, three points clear of 18th. And uh, they are they, they have the most played games out of all of the ones at the bottom with 28. So Wolves, even though it might seem like you're sitting pretty on 12th, I think they're realizing very slowly that, you know, this could take a quick tumble down the road. So big game for Leeds there. Uh, this starts our conversation of red cards. Uh, so, you know, we, we went to having Johnny, who went from scoring possibly the goal of the weekend, uh, sent off for a high tackle on Luke Ailing. Uh, so that was a bit of a bummer. I think, Sean, you know a little bit more about that. He came on, right? He got subbed on, yellow card, and it was a double? or No, it was it was a straight red. So it was called the yellow um, initially, and then VAR reviewed it. I mean, it, it's a studs up, um, high on the ankle. I mean, it's just kind of like a textbook red. Johnny knew it um, 
once they went to VAR, he was like basically looking uh, like he was ready to get sent off in a way. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is at the end of the game, uh, Matthias Nunes, who's a really good center midfielder for Wolves, got sent off uh, from the bench uh, because he got really worked up about um, the goal that Leeds took. Uh, Leeds had. There was a foul in the buildup, or it looked like it. It wasn't called. And then Wolves um, kind of lost their mind on the bench, and Nunes uh, especially, uh, to a point where Diego Costa had to hold him back. If Diego Costa's like, hey, man, you're, you're going a little <laughs> you too crazy, you got to fucking calm down, dude, because that guy's a nut job. If he's, if he's pulling you back, you, got, you are seriously worked up. Like, the wires have crossed. Um, yeah. <laughs> the last thing I just wanted to say about this game before we move on is that uh, Matthias Cunha scored the first goal by a Wolves striker since March 8th of 2022. So That's over a year since a, any striker, meaning Costa – Meaning uh, Raúl Jiménez and Cunha, who is you know pretty highly thought of, none of them had a goal this season, um, and it's no wonder that Wolves is one of the you know the lowest scoring sides in the league with, with you know with, st- with stats like that. That's incredible. So why is uh why is Nunez only suspended for two games if he got a straight red? Even I don't. Though, I don't know it, why that on is. The bench, I guess. Yeah, I got. It, it you must could get from one. You can do. Yeah, you could do one. It can be a one game, depending on the severity of the red card. It can be a one game suspension to a three card suspension. If it's a, if we look back at like Casemiro's tackle, um, studs up on the pitch, straight red card. I, I don't know why that's three games in this one. Uh, I think this one is three three games as well for Johnny. Uh, that's on the pitch, studs up, aggressive, borderline assault. <laughs> now, is that only <laughs> if, you're, if you're If you're on, I, I don't know if it carries over from league to league. I'm sure they keep some form of consistency between the three of them. But, like, if it's something – and you can always appeal. You can appeal right cards. You can, you can ask for a reduced sentence, I guess, so to speak. But because this one was for dissent, I believe it does not qualify or get bumped up into the three-game suspension ranking. All right. I was just always under the impression straight red, three games. That's it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. You could. It depends on the severity of it, and then you can always appeal it, which was something that Man United were thinking and considering for Casemiro's latest red card, and they opted out against it. Uh, why I don't know. I think they probably could have gotten a, a little reduced sentence. I don't know if anything comes backlash wise. If if it's like a challenge and it gets rejected, I it probably looks bad for you to to be doing all this to refereeing and yeah, they whatnot, lose one of their but, remaining timeouts. Yeah. <laughs> exactly um okay so that's moving on to the next game quickly just because we want to talk about the red card in this one as well because it was brentford versus leicester city uh go ahead sean if you want to pop onto this one as well yeah so this one i actually watched the full game um regrettably because it was kind of a stinker um but shandon (laughs) baptiste got sent got sent off after two yellow cards in 22 minutes as a sub uh which is pretty difficult to do so just another another one adding to uh to the red card tally for the weekend. Um, but this point was big for Leicester City. It keeps them just outside of the relegation zone. Again, they just managed to, to stay clear of it for the second week in a row. Um, and my other note on this game was Brentford scored their 12th goal off of a set piece this year, which is second only to Tottenham, uh, who has 13. So a lot of credit to Thomas Frank. He's done a really good job of creating uh, goal-scoring opportunities for his, for his boys. The Bees, as you say, were buzzing. You got, I, I like Thomas Frank a lot too. Last year, bringing bringing the team up from from the championship, he really he was up. I don't know if he was up and running or he was a nominee, but I think he was a nominee for 
for coach of the year just because of where they came in and, and where they finished. And he's probably another nominee for it this year as well. Yeah. Best manager in London? Uh, you know, I like him, but not but not that much. I think there's a super <laughs> meek Arteta that takes the cake for for all of the managers of the year so far. So we'll, we'll see. That will be an interesting one to see. I'm, I'm more interested in the uh, the monthly polls for March because we have Aaron Ram- – this is another Arsenal rant, but we have Aaron Ramsdale up for save of the month against Bournemouth, which I think is – it should probably make it. It was incredible. Kept us in the game. You have Reese Nelson for the goal. And you the shouldn't have match. to make a save against Bournemouth. You shouldn't have to, but if you do and it keeps <laughs> your team at first place, I think that beats – I think that beats all the <laughs> all things, but um, and we have manager of the month uh, with Mikel Arteta, who had a perfect month of March. So it would be great to see a clean sweep of player of the month and whatnot. Yeah, so I don't know. I just dropped internet, so I don't know what was the last thing I said. So I'll just summarize it real quick. That Arsenal is the best team in the world, and I'm super happy that <laughs> we're going to win all three awards and uh, for for goal of the month, match of the month, or player of the month, goal of the month and um coach of the month manager of the month so that's pretty safe to say but uh <laughs> we'll, we'll pop into the fa cup recap real quick uh K- kyle i don't know if you watched the slaughtering of burnley oh um, i did you guys really like your ex-player of vincent company that much to just dis- disrespect them so much six nothing um what were your takeaways on this match um so the first half uh, i'll say the first half of the first half i was actually a little worried Burnley straight outplayed Man City for the first 30 minutes of the game. There was way more chances. They looked good. They played their own style, which I appreciated, but it kind of backfired, and they continued to play their own style once they started letting up goals, which, you know, all power to them, but you got to make adjustments based on who you're playing. That's just soccer. but Or football, I'm sorry. But um, other than that, Holland got another hat trick. What else is new? Sixth hat trick of the season. <laughs> That puts him at 42 goals this season. The only players who have done such a thing in the Premier League are Mo Salah in 17-18, Van Nistelrooy, Rude Van Nistelrooy, there's a name for you guys, back in 2002-2003, and Ronaldo in 2007-2008. and Those are the three players who have that many or more goals than Erling Holland so far in the Premier League for one season. Um, Other than that, if you watch the goals, Holland scored all of them because of his pace. He was just faster than all of their defenders, and that was the deciding factor. They were, we've been saying it on the pod for a long time, they got to just play the ball over the top or through the back line, and that's what they did, and they were exploited hard. Uh, Phil Foden looked great. It's a shame because it looks like Holland and Foden are both going to be missing for these upcoming fixtures this weekend, but... It's real fun to watch when they're both out there, guys. They're, yeah. they're just special, those two. They're young. They seem to be having a lot of fun with each other, which gives me hope for future years to come. Which is and a nice change from the beginning of the season, too, right? Actually, at the beginning of the season, they didn't get along too well. Yeah, exactly. Um, because of Holland coming in as as the new number one and, and Foden, you know, being young player of the year last year, you know, you know, he deserves some of the time, too. So that's nice to see that they're gelling a little bit better on the pitch now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Foden had a bunch of assists. He could have had some goals. You know, it reminds me of the Man City Man U game from earlier in the season where each of them had a hat trick in the game. They, they seem to just be gelling with each other now again, and it looks really nice. But that's pretty much it. It was a game we were supposed to win, and we did win. It's a shame that we won by so many because I do respect Vincent Company as the opposing coach. You know, standing shame, shame. ovation, walking into the stadium as he deserves. He's 
an icon legend as far as City goes. We had a little debate here between Company versus um, Torre, Yaya Torre, as to who's the bigger Manchester City legend icon. And, you know, that's just a toss-up. I like both of them so much. Well, I think Vince, Company's got, does Company have a statue outside the stadium? I think he does, I right? believe it. I believe he does, yeah. Yeah, so, so that, that kind of... Uh, yeah. But I think they named that pretty well. Yeah, they named the training pitch after Yaya Torre, I believe, as well. So both of them are getting recognized at the camp. When's yours going up, Kyle? Mine? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, they've been calling for a while to try to get me over there. But, you know, <laughs> I got this, this little league I'm in, you know, co-ed afternoons. I, I can't. <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my takeaway from that, from that route. Well, the, that's pretty good. The next one we have is on the other side of uh, Manchester, and that's the Man U versus Fulham. This was an exciting game. Um, I, it was real tight the entirety of it until we got, you know, Fulham got hit with back-to-back red cards within the same minute due to a red card being called, and then someone arguing, someone being Mitrovic, uh, and then actually pushing a refereeing and getting sent off himself, oh, can't get, do putting that. Fulham into a nine-man game with the last I think it was last almost 20 minutes left in the match I think it was 15 minutes left in the match I watched this briefly at a pub after the Arsenal game as well I was really hoping for a, a, a man you failure here but once you once you put Naiman on the pitch and it's your two of your best players that you've been with was Willian who pulled a Luis Suarez and just handballed the, <laughs> the, the, the ball and preventing that from being a go-ahead goal um, gets itself sent off and then you know is the reason why they have a go-ahead goal, goal off of a penalty kick, and then Mitrovic arguing that, pushing the referee, which is never acceptable, uh, especially in a heated match like that. You're, you're just screwing yourself and your team over like that, and you hate to see it from a player like Mitrovic uh, get sent off, who now is missing a, a further games as well. We don't know how severe that's going to be, whether it's just it's just the red card suspension or red card suspension, and on top of that, another suspension for dissent to physically a referee or just a, a fine or whatnot. So we're not sure what that has come of yet, but I'm sure we'll find out in the nearing week with the return of the Premier League. And then William, who's been a great signing for them and has been one of the one of the better wingers in the top half of the table all season as, as well. Uh, so a bit of a bummer there uh, to see that happen. But of course, 3-1 to, to Man U. Sean, uh, I don't know if you have any key points or takeaways on this as well, but um, yeah. that's pretty much it's pretty much the the bread and butter there. I think we'll end up probably having a Man U Man City final uh, based off of the result of Sheffield United versus Blackburn. Sheffield United advances and they will play Man City and then Man U will play Brighton. So that will be an interesting matchup, Man U Brighton, because Brighton is definitely a contender for the cup. Uh, this is their last chance for a trophy this season. Uh, they are fighting for a place in European competitions, Brighton, for next season. So they have a lot of things to look forward to. And I think bringing a trophy into the, the cabinet for them first time in I don't know how many years or ever, uh, but this would be a, a huge, huge game for Brighton, and uh, I would love to see uh, Brighton make it to the final, and even Black, uh, even Sheffield United over both Manchester's. But as far as things go, it, it does look like we'll have a Manchester City uh, derby for the FA Cup final, which would be very intense and very interesting as well. So no, no real losses there. But uh, we're going to take another quick break here, and then quickly wrap up with uh, the weekend look ahead since the EPL is back in action and everyone's looking forward to it.
because I'm getting the head gestures of both Kyle and Sean that, that the hangover is still continuing through the entirety of this program and they have been doing nothing but stomaching it for all of you out there. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and get into the last bit of segment here, which is just games to look forward to, which we have essentially just Man City versus Liverpool, which has gotten a little bit more interesting over the past 24 hours because we mentioned it briefly before, Phil Foden uh, had to go in for appendix surgery. And he was out of the tie for England today. And he will be out of the tie versus Liverpool over the weekend on Saturday. I believe that's the 7.30 in the morning game. And that is at the Etihad. Uh, This would be a massive, massive game for Liverpool. And is a massive, massive game for Man City in the title contention race, obviously. Right now, they are one game in hand. Man City below Arsenal. But they do have an eight-point gap to make up right now. A loss here would be detrimental. And Kyle, I know that I would be sending you a hell of a lot of videos and gifs if they were to concede a goal, a draw, or a loss here. Uh, just looking real quick to Liverpool and Man City's head-to-head record. Uh, Liverpool's record against City is in their favor with 15 wins, only nine losses, and 12 draws. So this would be this would be ex- extremely exciting to see that continue. Uh, they've played twice this season so far. Uh, they've won one and lost one versus Man City. The first one being uh, the EFL Cup game in December. Uh, the latest one being December, which they won. And the one previously to that was in October, and that was the Premier League, which they lost to Man City. So, Sean, how are you feeling around. Go- heading into this? Other way game? around, buddy. Yeah, it was one nothing Liverpool at at Anfield in the Prem, and then they lost at the Etihad in the EFL Cup to City. Yeah, we, we dropped points. Kyle's in, notes, in Kyle's notes threw that. you through a friggin' loop there. Those ain't my notes. I think that might have been me. I think that was me. I was oh. looking at that before, but yeah, hey. I wasn't going to talk about better. I wasn't going to talk about the last fixtures. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how do you feel about this one, um, uh, Sean? And then I'll, I'll get your two cents on it too, Kyle. Yeah, um, it's it's tough. I, I, I'm going to go for a draw just because I feel like City and Liverpool always play really tight. Um, both teams, obviously, are really desperate for the points. Uh, I would say, obviously, City's the favorite, but you know, no Foden and no Holland, obviously, would be huge for them. Uh, huge losses, excuse me. But uh, from the other side of things, you know, they're, Liverpool's still working on getting Thiago and Luis Diaz back to full fitness, and Darwin Nunez pulled out of uh, the Uruguay camp with an ankle injury. Um, and Gakpo got sick, too, so it'll be... It, it, it could be a very... Uh, a ragtag group up front, depending on, you know, if, if guys get cleared in time. Uh, but this is a massive, the first of three massive games for Liverpool over the next nine days. Uh, you have, like, obviously City away this weekend. You got Chelsea um, at Stamford Bridge, and then uh, Arsenal coming to Anfield. And those three games really define the season. If, you know, they don't take points in at least two of them. They can kiss their top four hopes goodbye. And, you know, honestly, we might be playing freaking Conference League football next year. So um, big time to step up. And and hopefully, like I said, Diaz and Thiago can come back because I think they would be crucial in a, in a game against City. Um, last five results, uh, just to be a little bit more up to date, uh, you have obviously the, the loss in the EFL Cup. Um, but besides that, Liverpool hasn't lost uh, in two years to Man City in all comps. So... We'll see, man. Like I said, I think I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Mm. I'd be okay with that, Kyle. Obviously, you would not. Do you have um, a bit more optimism knowing that you're home on this one? I know we spoke about not have, potentially not having Holland, not having Foden. 
Um, you were talking earlier about maybe having De Bruyne up top as a false nine so that you could have Silva and Gudwan in the center with Grealish on the wing on, on the other side of them. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, on heading into this game? I know Pep is going to have three million different ideas for tactical strategic uh, formations, but what, what would you do if you're in Pep's shoes? I would just go back to old reliable, play all the players that have been on the team most that are in your starting 18 players at this point. I mean, this is not an, a new fixture for a lot of these players. They've played Liverpool. They've lost to Liverpool. They've tied Liverpool a lot. So, you know, Klopp versus Pep, it's going to be fun. Both, it's, it's a mental game between the two of them. They're two of the best coaches in the world right now. So I think you play Mares on the right. You know, you got to play De Bruyne middle. You got to have basically everyone you can. Grealish, Silva. I'd like to see Rodri in the back this time but like who knows who knows the important thing is that holland might play he is not 100 percent out i think if holland plays that has that has to throw off the defense then it shuts down virgil van dyke's ability to move around he's got to lay him down which virgil van dyke has done in the past he shuts down holland so that would be nice so i think with holland i think we win 3-1 without holland i think we win 3-1 so <laughs> I, i'm ready <laughs> well, I would like this one to be uh, another surprising win for Liverpool. Um, I have no, no, no projection. I don't want to anticipate anything because I just want to. I just want to be pleasantly surprised on Saturday. So I'm going to let this one lie. All right, moving on to the the next one, which is I think uh, one that's flying under the radar here, but I think will be interesting at least for a lot of Chelsea fans out there since you guys are coming in form. But Chelsea versus Aston Villa. Uh, this is 10th place versus 11th place, and they're tied with points right now. So quite literally, the winner of this game will be in 10th, and the loser will be in 11th, and it will switch from the top half of the table to the bottom of the half of the table if Chelsea lose. I think um, Chelsea has shown a lot of promise over the past three games. Uh, they have won their past three games, I believe. Uh, so it, it, it looks like they're trending in the right direction, right when they need to. I still don't know what our, our thoughts and feelings are on them making top four. I think it's very, 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 very small. If you can get that from the very, I think it's nearly impossible. I think they're at like plus 3,000 right now, something along those lines. But um, they, they, they could still play for Europa League, which is huge. And I'm not sure if they play all their cards right in the Champions League, but they could go pretty far in this late run as well. Uh, you know, they have won in the past. If the players, they have a Champions League team caliber roster. So if they can get into form, I think they're, they push a lot of their eggs into that one basket, but you don't want to let your, your, your hopes and your dreams of Champions League fail you. And then you found yourself, you finished sixth, seventh place in the Premier League. So they're going to have to be chasing. And this is going to be a make or break game, I think, for them just on form, uh, on terms of uh, motivation and mental fortitude. Uh, being able to come continue to you know, break came maybe at an inconvenient time for them. They were finding their form. Can they pick up where they left off and can they continue in the right direction? So this is, um, you know, a, a good game for them to get into because of the, the, the gravity of it. 10 versus 11. They also have a win record of 14 games, one against Aston Villa, only four losses and four draws. So uh, history shows is a bit in their side, in their favor as well. I don't know if you guys have anything else to talk about there on that match, but uh, if not, I think it, it would be a good time to end it here. Let you guys go get some Alka-Seltzer and some, uh, maybe some Tums. That, that's what, that helps me a lot lately. 
uh, with hangovers. So I would recommend that to you guys. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly give a lock of the week as well. Yes, which yes. Will absolutely be going to either Man U or Spurs. I haven't decided yet. Give me. All right, it's gonna be Spurs. Spurs is gonna beat Everton. That's the lock. Um, Spurs are coming in at plus 120 for that game. They need to win. This was embarrassing what just happened. And it, I think the player is going to come out and try to prove to the fans that they can do it without the coach because it looks like the coach gave up on them. So I think this is a big, big game for them. And Everton is coming off a 2-2 draw against Chelsea. So they seem to be finding some good footing. They can score and they can let up. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to touch Spurs ever again on another bet I, off I that because I, I went I with them. them. I went with them last week, and it was against a worse team than Everton. It was against Southampton. Yeah, so, I, I wanted to choose Man U, but then you look at the top three teams, Arsenal, City, Man U, and their goal differential, and you have 40 for Arsenal, 42 for Man City, and then six for Manchester United. Yeah, I, I don't it is trust insane. Them. So And yeah. Newcastle also, I mean, if Newcastle beats Manchester United this weekend, they jump, they jump them. They're in third place at that point. Yo, your so, boy Newcastle. Ian is frothing at the mouth at the moment. At the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, not my problem. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, we'll, you also don't will be when Casemiro you listen to again, episode. right? Yeah, no Casemiro. Well, like, you don't even, I think that was smart. You stay away. You don't have Casemiro again. He's, he's got another suspension. Um, well, I mean, Man U has Newcastle. no danger here. They, they have two games in hand over Tottenham right mm-hmm. now, and even if they lose to Spurs, they're still in fourth place with a game in hand. So it, it's not the end of the world for a Manchester United loss, but I think it means mm-hmm. the world for a Newcastle win. So I think they're going to be out there with a little more heart. I think that's a good, that's very good in the, a savvy way because football never comes down to the stats anyway. It, it will find a way of bringing you in and then fucking you. So, well, it's like you uh, said, in, right? In layman's terms. Best, best games of the year are the, the last games for the bottom of the table to fight for the relegation. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's when it. you have a little bit more hard. to fight for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, keep on fighting, you two. Uh, we'll wrap this up now. And uh, appreciate everyone again. I always look forward to you know putting this out weekly and, and getting your thoughts and opinions on it. So everyone here at uh, EPL State of Mind, thanks you. And uh, enjoy your week and get ready for a good weekend coming up. Have a good night, guys. Cheers.